Well, I want to thank Pastor Mark, who is not here right now, and uh, uh, and John for taking up uh, the last couple of weeks. John did a great job last week on Song of Solomon. Would you guys agree? I did watch online, so I saw everything that he said, both about me and Mark. We are keeping notes. Um, and, and on top of all of that, you know, Mark, uh, I know John was like, I don't want to talk about sex. So, which is sad because I did. So, that was supposed to be my sermon. Um, but that's okay. God has different plans. As a matter of fact, I get to take John's. This is what John was supposed to speak on. He was looking forward to, to sharing this. And, and what's so funny is that I, I was speaking with Amy beforehand during our, our break time. I was like, I don't remember the last time I did an introduction to any of the books that we've been doing. Can you guys remember the last time I did an introduction? I haven't done one this year. I know that. So does anybody remember the last one I did? Me neither. So this will be an adventure for all of us. All right. So for those of you who are here for the first time, one of the things that we're doing is we're going through the Word of God in five years period of time. And what we do is we're reading the Word of God six days a week as a congregation. But uh, when we come together on Sunday, we break down the Word from our reading, sometimes in parts, sometimes in whole, just depending upon how that is, because we're focused on really getting to know the Word of God. We want biblical literacy among our congregation, and we're hitting the final stretch of year four, and so next year we'll mark year five, which will be awesome when we finish that. Um, and this particular week, there's been no readings because we're in between books. We read Song of Solomon last week, and we're beginning the Gospel of Matthew this week. And the sermon that I have today, which, because it's an introduction, we just get to do this large overview of what we're going to get to look forward to from here till pretty much the end of the year, which is pretty awesome. It's called Bridging the Gap, is what I've titled this sermon. It's an introduction to the Gospel of Matthew. And those of you who have um, Bibles and you're looking at the Bible, that division between Old and New Testament We have Malachi that ends the Old Testament, and we have Matthew that begins the New Testament. And it's placed there on purpose for a number of different reasons. Uh, Number one is this, is that Matthew is a perfect um, bridge, if you will, in between Old and New Testament. Because Matthew is very concerned about the Jewish uh, audience that he's writing to. As a matter of fact... Uh, the sayings that come from Matthew that are composed are, are known as the logia, L-O-G-I-A. So it just means sayings. And many believe that Matthew's sayings uh, that he's written out, a lot of the red letters, if you will, of Jesus that's, that's found within the Gospel of Matthew, really predate and come to the core of what a, a lot of the Gospel writers used to create all of the Gospels that are there. Now, there are some that hold to this idea of, of Q, but Q's never been found. There's no understanding of Q. It's like, oh, everybody uses shared document of Q, but there's no Q out there. There's no, no tradition that's out there that says, oh, these were all the sayings that are there. However, these logia, these sayings, if you will, of Matthew are attested by a number of early church fathers. 
Papias in 140 AD mentions the Logia, talking about the sayings, saying that that the early church knew of the sayings that Matthew had written out. And as a matter of fact, many of the early church uh, people would try to memorize as much as they could of it. Irenaeus in 185 speaks of Matthew's gospel that he eventually would write from these sayings. In other words, these sayings that were written down were then fleshed out into the gospel that we have today. And that originally, that gospel was written in Hebrew, not in Greek. Panaeus in 195 AD found the full gospel of Matthew in Hebrew in India and wrote about that as well. In origin also identifies Matthew as having written his gospel for the Jewish converts. Uh, Matthew is very, very concerned about the Jewishness of Jesus. In other words, he wanted the Jewish people to know the origin of their Messiah. As a matter of fact, we, we see that throughout the book of Matthew. One of the interesting things that's written in Matthew that's not found in quite the same way in any of the other Gospels is this. You'll find this quote, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, this is mentioned 16 times. We hear about it when we talk about the, uh, uh, the sacrificing of the uh, innocents, uh, and we talk about the infants that are there. This is what was spoken by the prophet saying, a voice is heard of weeping in Rama. We hear it of, of the healing that when Jesus takes up the infirmities of the people and, and um, Matthew, in Matthew chapter 8, makes reference to this idea that he, was, he would heal the people. And so what we see is we see a very Jewish Matthew wanting to reach a very Jewish people for Jesus. I think that's pretty cool, honestly. And Matthew's the type of person that I appreciate. Of all the, the synoptic gospels, for those of you who don't know what the synoptic gospels are, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels because they share a lot of material together. There's a lot of things that you find in Matthew that are found in Mark, a lot of things that are found in Mark that are found in Luke. And these are called the synoptic gospels because they cover much of the same material. The gospel of John is written at a later time after these first three gospels were out and therefore covers differing material that, that was not as well known at that time. And of these three uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew has always been my favorite. And, and part of the reason why is, is because of these references, you know, that we look at in the scriptures where it talks about that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying. In other words, he's saying, look, you're Jewish. I'm writing to a Jewish audience. I'm going to tell you that there was a prophecy concerning this. You should know that. I'm pointing back to it so that you can recognize who Jesus is. I think that that's pretty cool. I really do. Because I'm a guy. How many of you are guys? I'm glad no ladies raised their hand. Good job. Okay, so unfortunately not near as many guys raised their hand either. We will have a talk after the service today. Um, but the truth of the matter is I'm a guy, and I just want things laid out before me. Just tell me. Just tell me. Don't make me guess. I'm not a good guesser. I'm a terrible guesser. Okay? If you want me to guess, I will fail. You will be mad. I will fail, and it will be your fault because you didn't tell me. That's just the way it works. Because as a guy, all I want you to do is just tell me. 
Just tell me. And that's what I like about Matthew. Matthew doesn't leave anything to chance. This is written so that you will understand. The prophet wrote this. Why am I telling you the prophet wrote this? So you don't have to guess. It's important that you're not having to guess. You are my Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. And because you're my Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, instead of saying, guess where that was, I'm going to tell you the prophet said this. You know why? Because I want you to find it. Jesus isn't trying to hide himself, and I'm not trying to hide him either. And I think that that's very important for us as believers in Christ, as we're looking at the introduction of Matthew, as we're thinking about you know the mindset of Matthew as he's written this down in, in, um, in Hebrew for Jewish converts because he wants his people to know of the Messiah whom God has sent, not just for the Jews but for the world. And some interesting things about this whole session, uh, this, this whole gospel that we're going to be looking at. Of course, we know Matthew as a tax collector. As a matter of fact, this is the only gospel in which he's referred to as Matthew. And all the other gospels he's referred to as Levi, okay? Which, if I were Matthew, be a little irritated. It's like, you know, four gospels, only one gets it right, right? And it's mine because it's my name, Right? How many of you have ever got somebody get your name wrong over and over again? Raise your hand. How many of you are tired of people getting your name? How many of you just give up and just say, whatever, just call me Fred. I don't care. You know? I mean, you get one of those names. I, I, have, uh, I have given my daughter, Kathleen, the, the privilege of having a name that is both familiar and unfamiliar at the same time. Nobody gets her name right. We go places... Katie Lynn, Kathleen, Katie Lee. It's like, it's, it's Kathleen. She's like, it's not that hard. It's just Kathleen. Okay, just, it, just, just say it like it's spelled. Catherine, there's no R. There's no R, right? I keep thinking Matthew might have the same kind of problem. You know, I'm looking at that in, in the Gospels, and I've always wondered, why is Matthew the only one who gets his own name right? That makes no sense to me, but it's, it's totally there. It's Levi every place else, because he was known, to probably from being in that tribe, and that was a distinguishing feature from him. And yet, at the same time, Matthew, as a tax collector, all of us know um, concerning that. Some interesting things when we look at the gospel of Matthew. What would you imagine with a tax collector? If if you were a tax collector and you were writing a gospel, what things do you think would stand out to you? Anybody have any ideas? What, what, What would stand out to you if you were a tax collector? Raise your hand. Somebody. Money. Very good. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you would imagine that he would be a little bit more focused on money. And it's interesting to note that when we look at the Gospel of Matthew, there are unique features of money that's found in his Gospel. It's not found in any other Gospel. Number one, the parable of the unmerciful servant found in Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 23 through 25. This is the parable that talks about, you know, there, there was a servant who owed his master so much money and couldn't pay it back. And when the time came due and he was going to be brought before the judge, I'm totally paraphrasing. Please understand, we'll go through this together as we read through. It says, he 
gets down on his knees and says, please, please, if you just give me more time, I, I, will, I will pay back every cent. And when he saw him and he, and he saw uh, um, his pleading, his master had mercy on him and forgave him the entire debt. And yet this same person who had been forgiven so much goes out to a fellow servant who owed him just a few dollars and said, pay me back what you owe me. And he says the same thing. Please, please, if you just give me time, I'll pay it all back. And he, and he would not have mercy on him. And he threw him into jail and into stocks. And when the master heard of how this man treated this other servant, he came to him and he said, look, when you begged me for this debt that you couldn't pay back, I forgave it all. And yet for them, for just a few dollars, shouldn't you have done the same thing? And because you didn't do that, I'm now going to punish you in the same way. And you will not get loose. You will not be freed until every cent is paid. It would make sense that Matthew would remember that in such a way that none of the others would. Because he's a tax collector, right? Also the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, is not found any place else in the Bible. And so this is where you have a, a, the master of a vineyard who goes out, and he's looking for people. And he's saying, I need somebody to come work my vineyard. I'll give you a day's worth of pay for your job. And he goes out the first hour and finds people. And they go and, and they work for him for a day's wages. He goes out at the third hour. And finds more people who are just standing about. He says, hasn't anybody hired you? And they said, no. He said, I'll hire you for a day's wages. So he, they come in and he works the vineyard. Goes out the fifth hour and he finally goes out at the eleventh hour and does the same thing. And he says, why are you guys just standing here? It's, it's the eleventh hour. And he's like, nobody's hired us. Come and work for me and I will, I will pay you a, a day's wages. And so when he lines them up at the end, he lines them up on the opposite order of which they came. So the people who were in the 11th hour got paid first, while the people who worked all day got paid last. And and the 11th hour people got paid a day's wages. And so when they get to the back of the line, the people who worked first said, oh, we've worked all day. Therefore, surely we're going to get more money, right? But at the end of the day, they got paid for a day's worth of wages, just like they were promised. And they complained. And in their, in their complaining, the master says, isn't it my money to do with what I please? And if I choose to pay them, you agreed to these wages. And this is what you worked for. Why, are, why am I being maligned as evil when it's my money to do with what, what I please, right? And so again, this is a paraphrase, but it's the idea that the master has the right to spend his money how he wishes to spend it. If we bring that along to salvation, who cares when people come to know Jesus Christ, whether they're 70 years old or if they're seven years old? Oh, I've walked with Jesus all my life since I was seven. Well, that's great. You get the same reward as the person who does it at the end of life, as far as eternal life. And, and that's something to really look forward to. And I think Matthew writing that parable down gives us uh, an idea of where his mind and his heart is as he's thinking about these things. The other thing about money, he's the only one who notes how much Jesus was betrayed for. The other Gospels don't tell you that. They say that he was betrayed for amount of money. But in the Gospel of Matthew, we're told how much it is. And it's tied back 
that that it might be fulfilled with with which was spoken by the prophet saying so it's really interesting to see that as well also when we look at matthew when we look at the tomb he's the only one that mentions the bribing of the guards we don't see that in mark we don't see that in luke we don't see that in john later on again when it comes to money matthew is pretty astute concerning money around him which is what we would expect for somebody who's basically you know uh, a bean counter he's like so that makes sense to me i'm going to hold on to that that stands out to me because it's all about money so i'm going to grab onto that and maybe nobody else grabs onto that as well so in the gospel of matthew um, we are given five great discourses These represent the most complete and thorough account of the teachings of Jesus found anywhere in the scriptures. In all the other gospels, we see a lot of the teachings of Jesus kind of spread out throughout the gospels. What we see in Matthew are very condensed, here's what Jesus taught on in these sections, these red letter sections, if you will, uh, within the gospel of Matthew, you find greater chunks of it than you do any place else in the Bible. Of these five great discourses, the most famous is the first one, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7 is just three chapters of of the words of of Jesus Christ. And each of these five discourses um, have a theme that's attached to it. And so in the first discourse, found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the theme is righteousness. From the very beginning, from the Beatitudes to the very end, where Jesus is talking about those who, uh, you know, listen to these words of mine and put them into practice, are like a person who has built their foundation and set it upon the rock. The winds came and the wind blew and, and the waves came in, but that that foundation stood firm because it was on the rock. But those who, um, those who listen to my words but do not put them into practice is like one who builds on the sand. The winds come and the rains came and the floods come up and that house had utter destruction, right? And so what Jesus is saying is that the righteousness of God is found through the teaching of Christ, through that first of those amazing discourses that we look at together. And he talks about many other things in there. The second section is on missions, found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 1042. This is where Jesus starts talking about going out to all the different places and sharing the gospel, going two by two out in those places. And he said, look, I, I, I saw, you know, Satan fall from heaven. And he talked about, you know, don't be, don't be so grateful that you know the demons listen to you be glad that your your names are written in the lamb's book of life you know and so we see this idea of missions and and the idea of sharing the good news of christ to the world around him the third great theme is found in matthew chapter 13 and it talks about the kingdom of god we start seeing the kingdom of god and we look at the wheat and the tares and we look at the parable of the seeds that are there and we look at the importance of the kingdom of god the fourth great theme that is found in the gospel of matthew which is very unique is that of the church which is found in matthew 18 1 through 35 
the Gospel of Matthew of the four Gospels is the only one that mentions the church, both universal as well as local, the local body of, of the body of Christ, um, that this uh, uh, you know, that we're, we're looking at that signifies the local body. That is us here. And so in Matthew chapter 16, he talks about the church universal when he says, you know, who do people say that I am? And, and they would say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? Like, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. That's what Peter would say. He says, Peter, son of Jonah, uh, son of Jonah guess what? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven who has revealed this to you. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock, this talk, talking about this confession of faith, I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This idea that Jesus is the Christ, is the Son of the living God. But in Matthew chapter 18, we see something different. We see this idea of what happens when two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus. And in this particular case, whenever we use this uh, uh, phrase, what's interesting to me is we, we like using that phrase kind of out of context. You know, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. See, Jesus is with us in a special way when I'm two or three are gathered in my name. Does anybody know the context of that passage? Talking about, um, it's talking about accountability and judgment. It's saying, if a brother sins against you, go to him just between the two of you and show him his fault. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. If he doesn't listen to you, then bring two or three witnesses that the, that the matter may be established by two or three witnesses. Again, this is Matthew quoting the Old Testament to the Jews who were Jewish believers so they would understand how all of this works out. If they don't listen to two or three of you, then bring them before the church. Now this isn't talking about the church universal as in Matthew chapter 16. This is talking about the local body of believers. And if you won't even listen to the church, then cast them out and treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. Right? Ironic that uh, Matthew would mention tax collector, right? The, the idea behind this is that where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, he is there in the midst of them to uphold the name of Christ and the teachings of Christ. That's what that is all about. The, the body of Christ, we you and I are together as a body of believers, to grow in our holiness, to grow in our righteousness, we're to sharpen one another. We're to, we're to be closer to one another in Christ. And the function of the church is so that we will grow in holiness. Anybody who says that the church is not important, number one, hasn't read the Gospels and hasn't read the words of Christ found in Matthew. Because the words of Christ in Matthew make it very, very clear in this fourth of these great discourses that the church is so important for our growth. It's necessary, absolutely necessary for our growth in Jesus Christ. You know, I've been 
out of it for the last couple of weeks, I have hated every moment of it. Nobody likes being sick, okay? Anybody who says, you know, there's no good time to get sick. Can I just tell you that? If you haven't figured that out, I, I mean, if you've ever sat in bed, the stupidest saying ever, and I've said it myself, man, it couldn't have come at a worse time. There's no good time to be sick. None. Zero. Well, I'm glad this happened today. Said nobody ever. I hated being sick. I, I did. Because it took me away from the body of Christ. And at the same time, I was so thankful for the body of Christ. For so many of you who either through text messages or got some cards in the mail saying get better. Um, phone calls that I never returned. Forgive me for those of you who called because I just didn't feel great. So. But I can't tell you how encouraged my family was by the local body of Christ. And I kept thinking to myself, I can't wait to get back. I'm so glad to be back today. I'm so glad to be back. And at the same time, I keep thinking to myself, how many people willingly deny themselves of this type of fellowship? Because they don't think the church is that important. One of Matthew's great discourses is on the church. And how important it is in our walk with Jesus Christ. He made sure that that was the emphasis, the focus on that fourth great discourse. It would be important for us to make sure that we don't forget that as well. And finally, the fifth great discourse is Matthew 24 and 25 eschatology, the end times, when Jesus is going to come back, what's going to happen, what's going to be the sign of me coming back, what's going to be the sign of, of the coming of the kingdom of God and, and Jesus establishing his kingdom. Man, that's something to look forward to. We all love looking at that passage. And again, what we have in these two chapters are, are the most written about in one section. One of the things we need to be thankful for Matthew in, in, in regards to the, the gospel, the way that he wrote his gospel, we have all these teachings of Jesus that have been preserved for us in a way that's not preserved. Don't get me wrong. You find many of these same words, but spread throughout in Mark and spread throughout in Luke. What you get in Matthew is context. And what I love about Matthew is you have the context of the words of Christ in these five great categories, right? So that if you want to know what Jesus said about these things, Matthew is the place to begin. It's not necessarily the place to end, but it's definitely the place to begin to say, what did Jesus say about this? Where can I find in context the things that Jesus deemed important? Because Matthew wrote them down to make sure that we would have them there. And the other Gospels confirm that. But Matthew puts it together in a very, very unique way. And all of this culminates as we make our way through these five great themes uh, that Matthew talks about so we can hear about the words of Christ and understand how it impacts us. All of this culminates, obviously, in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we end in his Gospels, already been quoted today, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. See, the whole purpose of Matthew's gospel isn't so much to be Jewish-centric as it's supposed to be. This is not just the Jewish Messiah. This is the Messiah of the whole world. And because of what has happened, because he is the Jewish Messiah, and because he has fulfilled this, guess what we get to do? We get to go out and not just keep it to ourselves, but to go and tell all nations of the great things that Jesus has done. That's a great place to end, right? The whole purpose of Matthew's gospel isn't to remain Jewish-centric. It's actually to point to the fulfillment of those Jewish prophecies and to be Christ-centric. This is the Messiah. This is what he came to do. This is the great hope that we have. That from the beginning that you read from the genealogy that Matthew puts forth in the kingly line to the very end... The kingly line isn't a means of itself to exalt the Jewishness of the Jewish nation, but exalt the Godhood of Jesus Christ. To let him know that he's conquered both sin and death, and that all who come to believe in him should have life in his name, and that we are called in the same way to make disciples, to make followers, to tell others, to continue sharing this story to the world that's around us. This is what the Gospel of Matthew is all about. It really breaks down all these barriers. It's kind of a cool thing that it, it's the first Gospel you read after 400 years of silence, after Malachi is over. And we see that God is not silent. That God is fulfilling exactly what he said he was going to do. And he's going to be righteous. He wants the world to know. He wants people to be kingdom-minded. He wants the church to be honored. He wants to know that he holds the end from the beginning. And all things will happen as he has proclaimed it to. And it's our job to go out and make disciples. That's a pretty good place to be, isn't it? Still that great commission today that you and I have to be able to go out, share Christ with the world around us, and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're called to do. That hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, I would say that there's probably a larger need for it today in our culture than maybe any of us have seen in our lifetimes. We have the hope of Christ. And the beauty is... Matthew gives us a great place to begin. Step by step, he man speaks, which is a good thing for us guys who just want to be told, tell us what to do. Right? Go out and make disciples. Go out and make disciples. Every one of us should want to see this place filled up with people. There are empty seats. Different places around this place. Let's go out and make disciples. Let's fill this place up. Let's share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's live how he wants us to live. You know? And in doing so, I think we'll be doing exactly what Matthew hoped his gospel would accomplish. Let's pray together. 
God, thank you so much for today and thank you for our time as we get ready to dive into Matthew and understand these great themes and understand the teaching that is laid out through your words, the words of Jesus, that we're going to hear more clearly through the gospel of Matthew than any place else because these these teachings are so focused and systematized for us so that we'll understand the context, Lord. God, we thank you. We thank you that you gave voice to Matthew, Lord, through the Holy Spirit to preserve these words so that people would know of this Jewish Messiah that wasn't just for the Jews, but the entire world, that through the redemption of Jesus Christ, all of us, every single one of us, can have eternal life because of what he's done. Help us to go out and spread that good news. Help us to go out and and make disciples of all nations. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, to know the teachings of Christ so well that when others talk to us about Jesus, that we're able to share with them the good news of Christ, leading them to follow and to teach them to obey everything that you've commanded. God, I I just want to see this world redeemed for you, Lord. And I thank you, dear Heavenly Father. That that's exactly what you wanted through Matthew, who cared about his people so much that he wrote this in Hebrew, that he made sure he made these references that were there so that people would clearly be able to see Jesus. Help us to do the same for our family, for our friends who need to clearly see Jesus from us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.